Welcome to episode 10 of the Big J and Little J show. We are officially in double digits, double digits, Connor, and we are going into week one. Football is back. Week zero just happened, and now Duke plays Temple on Friday. This is where you throw in the uh, oh, can you, oh, Varsity Blues. Uh, is it Robbie Ray or Richie Ray? Which one? What's the big guy's name? No, Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Yeah, yeah I was like, it was bothering me because when you said the R's, it was throwing me off. Yeah, Billy Bob. Billy Bob, where, he, where they're at the uh, the after hours club and he, he throws up the, I give it a 10, a 10. <laughs> this is episode 10. This game, my cat. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels good to get to double digit shows. Uh, we'll get to triple digits. Um, Maybe sometime around year two or three of the Mike Elko era, if that's the pace we're on. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exciting stuff. We actually have a game to talk about. Um, it's it's nice to get out of fall camp. Sometimes it gets a little monotonous when you see the same players going against the same teammates. Um, you know, the, the fall camp takeaways uh, are, are plentiful and would – take a lot more time than I have. Um, Wake Forest playing on a Thursday night and Duke playing on a Friday night does not do me uh, a lot of favors as far as having spare time this week. Um, I thought Elko and the way he ran a camp, uh, their their staff in general, was interesting. Um, it's, it's a staff that's preached accountability. It's a staff that's preached, you know, we need to be physical. Um, to see the to see that stuff kind of get ingrained early, um, to see some standards get set, was was really interesting. You know, I I compare everything to Wake Forest because those are those are the practices I've seen. That's that's kind of the program I've covered. And by the time I started covering Wake, the the wheels were kind of greased and they were moving toward the right direction. Um, you know, the first camp practices I covered were 2018. They're coming off two straight bowl games, uh, the belt bowl where they beat Texas A&M before Mike Elko was their defensive coordinator. And um, like the culture had been established. It was, it was the standard had been set. The culture is, is being established right now at Duke. Like they're, they're at the very much the ground floor of a, uh, they don't use the word rebuilding, but I think you have to use the word rebuilding when you're talking about where they're taking over. Uh, it's not like this program was was born on third base and thinks they hit a triple. Uh, so, like I said, you know, without getting into too many details, I can't get into, you know, what, what I saw specifically. Um, but it's just, it, it's interesting to, to see. Like, one of the things I saw, I'll mention, um, the defensive line was was pretty solid throughout fall camp. Um, I think I think Duke across the starting line at least with uh, R.J. Oban and Vincent Anthony Jr. at the ends and Dwayne Carter and Jamie on Franklin at the tackles. It's a pretty strong one through four. Uh, after the first scrimmage, um, defensive line coach and he really works with the tackles, uh, Jess Simpson who's coached in the NFL. He's coached in Miami. He's coached uh, a powerhouse Georgia team where he won like seven state championships in 12 years, uh, went to three others, like 10 out of 12 years. They were in the state championship, which is crazy for Georgia. 
Um, he ripped the defensive tackles after that first scrimmage. I mean, he just let them have it right there on the field in front of all of us. Like, we're kind of off to the side uh, in Wallace Wade where the horseshoe opens up uh, between the practice field and the and the stadium. And they're, they're on our side of the field, and he just crushed them for uh, not winning enough. Um, and that's we, – we got to talk to Dwayne Carter uh, about a week after that. And I, I mentioned, like, you know, Dwayne, uh, we couldn't help it. But here, we, we kind of couldn't help it over here. Um, Coach Simpson kind of getting into y'all after the last scrimmage, what was that about? And Dwayne explained, like, that's – that's who coach Simpson is. He has high standards. He coaches them like they're pros. He coaches them like he coached the Atlanta Falcons when he's coaching Grady Jarrett. And they appreciate that. Um, the players know where they're coming from. It's not, there's, there's no illusions of, of Duke was the best three and nine team in the country last year or anything like that. They know, they know where they're coming from. And so they know that they kind of needed a refresh. They needed a reset button hit. Um, and you're seeing you, we saw for three weeks the the pressing of that button, um, and it'll it'll continue to get pressed uh, throughout the season and moving into next year. Now, since I have you on short time here, Connor, what can you tell Duke fans from uh, you're there for spring pre or uh, I'm sorry for fall camp and stuff? What was one position group or maybe a couple guys in a position that you were impressed with the development from I guess day one to the final scrimmage? And somebody that could be an X factor, possibly Temple throughout the season. I think it, it's it's not even a it's not even a sleeper to say Darius Joyner is the X factor in the back end, right? Like that is just <laughs> yeah. We, we know he's coming. Like if, if you if you follow my site, um, if you if you listen to, I think we talked about him in the summer, right? Like, yeah. and I told you a, he was my favorite transfer. He was my favorite impact player coming in. He's such a stud. Um, you saw in the video, like he had the one, the nasty pass breakup on Andrew, um, Jeff, on Andrew, Samir Higgins or John Tavis Robertson, maybe or no, it was a tight end. It was Andrew. I'm pretty sure Andrew. Yeah, Jeff. okay, yeah, that's right. Um, man, he's just he flies around on the back end. Uh, he, I'm I'm working on the feature now. Hopefully, I'll have it done tonight, and uh, by the time this is produced, the feature will be out. Um. He's got so much personality, too. He's such a character. Um, you actually told me that he had a walk-on offer to play basketball for Arkansas. Yeah. And he worked in a line with us. You know, if, if we're talking Duke football, of course, we've got to talk Duke basketball also. But but he was talking about how he, he his nickname growing up was Duke because he was a Duke fan. Um, he said he took, like, it, it sounded like he took the – the ACT or the pre-SAT uh, when he was like 11, 12, or 13 years old and scored well enough on it that Duke sent him a letter. And so that's how he became a Duke fan. That's um, awesome. So now, yeah, finally his sixth and final year of college football, he gets to put on a Duke jersey and, and play for Duke. Um, he made a joke about, you know, if, if Shire needs a walk-on, uh, he's available. I, I don't know if uh, if Duke will be that thin, but but it's fun to think about. Um, you know, I come come uh, February and March. I have, a, I mean, Darius Joyner looks to me like he could play in the NFL. Um, I'm not saying he's going to walk into a starting role next year or even be a draft pick, but 
this time next year, we'll probably be seeing his name being tossed around as as a fringe roster guy. Uh, he's he's that impressive back there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch him play. Uh, I've told people that he is like, yes, he's going to be really good at Duke, but you also have to understand that he's going to be like one of the better ACC safeties because he's a ball yeah. hawk. He can he can wrap up. He can intercept the pass. He can force fumbles. He's just everywhere. That's he had one he had one line to us that he was he said, uh, yeah, I went to the linebackers and I told him, hey man, you guys just make fast reads. Uh, it don't matter if you make a mistake. Like I'll clean it up. We're on the back end. We'll fill it. <laughs> we'll fill it. You guys just go make mistakes and and we we got your back. See, I love that. I, I I love that. Yeah, I I love that, and I think he is going to be exciting and. I mean, the size is there. And like I said, the intangibles are there. I joked with you when we got him that he was going to be an athletic Jeremy Cash, but he might actually become like a secondary. Because, you know, Jeremy Cash was a safety, but he was a linebacker basically playing safety. This is a guy that can cover, but also hits like a linebacker. And yeah, and that's kind of the the Jeremy Cash comp is, uh, is interesting because like looking at what Duke's defense did well uh, nine and ten years ago, you can't do that in the ACC anymore. Like nobody can run a, a third uh, safety out on the field as their nickel because uh, unless that safety can cover uh, and, and they're, they're going to need to cover slot receivers on about 80% of their snaps. And, yeah. And you, you need a corner to be able to do that. You, not what many made, safeties. What made him so dominant was playing Paul Johnson in Georgia tech. And he could just always just <laughs> cut through the a gap and force a fumble and, basically received the handoff once a year and it was awesome to watch, but you can't do that now against Georgia tech. So, yeah. but I mean, he was, he was awesome. Uh, what about on the offensive end? Like when I asked that, I would like to maybe dive in on Samir Hagans. That's somebody that Duke fans don't know about, but he's a redshirt freshman who had a good spring and has turned it into a really good fall. Yeah. That's another one where, you know, I, I covered last season. I wasn't, I, I wouldn't say I was very hands-on um, coming in when I did made it pretty difficult. And then them having the season they had combined with Wake having the season they had, my time was, was divided pretty unevenly. Um, but picking up Duke coverage in the spring and then throughout fall camp, uh, if you told me that Samir Hagen's played less than a hundred snaps last year, and I think played in like four games with, one catch maybe mm -hmm. uh i'd be shocked and and i'd call that a, a gross misuse of uh talent now i'm sure he's a better player now than he was 12 months ago like there there's no doubt in my mind that he's improved but man I, he's really good like and and you look at the receiving core you have a lot of fourth year guys that have not other than Jalen Calhoun have not done very much in their four years at Duke or three previous years. Um, Eli Pankle has had some standout moments. I think Pankle and Calhoun are the only two on the team that have more career catches than games played. Uh, Daryl Harding, they're, they're trying to push Daryl Harding to be the best version of himself. He's got the best size of the wide receiver core by a, by a pretty good margin. Um, We'll see if if they're able to push him over the hump. Um, John Tavis Robertson, I think, is a fourth year guy who has done some things, but not very many. Uh, C 
Samir Higgins is kind of coming in that next batch. And, man, he's got strong hands. Uh, he plays every bit as big as the 5'10", 195 they list him at. Um, ideally, you'd be throwing 50-50 balls on the sideline to 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". But if you have to throw them to, to an undersized guy, it's it's better to have somebody like Samir Higgins than, than not. Uh, he's, he's proven that he can go up and make plays on contested catches and, and come down with them pretty consistently. Um, I'm excited to see what he does. He got the, he got the or tag. There was a lot of, uh, consternation in the media room about how many ors there are in the depth chart. Um, that's kind of, it's coach know, talk. It's yeah, coach. It, it's coach talk and it's also, it's the first depth chart talk. I mean, yeah. it, you're going to have some unresolved things. You're going to have some ores thrown out uh, as charity. Uh, yeah. Just kind of, you know, the the players see the depth chart too. The players, uh, you know, we can talk. It, it's a conversation for another day about how coaches need to recruit their own roster uh, to keep them out of the transfer portal every season, along with recruiting a, a new class of uh, freshmen. So, yeah, there, there are some ores on there that, I kind of would question. I would not question the one with with him and John Tavis Robertson at the starting receiver spot. Um, I, they're going to rotate receivers, um, but but Samir to to bring it all back, uh, he's a he's a positive development, uh, and more so, you know, spring practices are valuable. They're not nearly as valuable as fall camp. I mean, fall yeah. camp, we see it day in, day out. Spring practices is every other day. Um, we talked, I think it was Kevin Johns. It was, it was one of the coordinators that we talked to uh, a couple weeks ago, just like, you know, spring practices kind of a little laissez-faire uh, when you get into fall camp and when you get the, the countdown clock gets under 30 days to the first game that's when you really figure out who's going to be a player and, and who is just kind of standing out in the spring because the pressure wasn't on. Um, Samir Higgins is a guy that he stood out in the spring. He carried it into fall camp. And that, that is, that goes a long way in determining how many opportunities he's going to get. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I like about Samir and it, it's kind of like a reach. You can say it's a reach is fine. But he really reminds me, like everybody wants to always say, like a new quick undersized receiver at Duke is Crowder. And Roming was supposed to be that. Calhoun was supposed to be that. John Tavis Robinson even had a brief stint coming in as a freshman. But honest to God, Samir is the closest to Crowder. I'm not saying he is Crowder, but what I mean by that is undersized guy that you can throw a jump ball to that you feel confident about coming down in man-to-man coverage with hands everywhere because he catches the ball so well with his hands rather than like hands to the body. He can just yeah. hold it out. And that's something I haven't seen a Duke receiver really do since Crowder. And I know that's like high praise, but just to give, he's a redshirt freshman. So who knows, maybe in two years when he's a redshirt junior and his third year in this system that you really see like his potential. Yeah. That's something that, you know, I, I gained a lot of appreciation for that with Greg Dortch. Uh, I think he's basically on the verge of making the the Cardinals roster right now. And I mean, Greg is, is about five, eight, one seventy. 
no matter what the Cardinals list him at. Uh, that's about what he was at Wake. Uh, he had such a big catch radius, though, because he caught the ball away from his body. He had, I, I don't know, he probably had less than five drops in the two seasons that he played for Wake. Um, it, it's, I've made a big deal on my message board and, and kind of in writing about, and, and on here about you need big, tall, physical guys to be on your outside and, and you need those guys to be able to stretch the field and throw deep balls. It's not imperative. Like you can get by with throwing the occasional deep ball to a, to a little guy, uh, as long as the matchup favors you. Uh, and as long as the little guy has strong hands and can take some contact, can draw draw a PI uh, is an important part of it. Um, and I think Samir Samir fits that billing, uh, at least what we saw in camp. Perfect. Well, last thing, last thing I'll ask you is speaking of one more wide receiver, what is your expectations for Jordan Moore and his, I know they talk about roles, but really what we'll say he, his role is wide receiver. And then emergency role would be QB, possibly. We still don't know. Elko touched on in the press conference today that it's either him or Henry. And, like, the way he said it was it really would be, like, a legit conversation to have because then you're messing with Henry's redshirt eligibility if he plays more than four games. And that's that's the what if down the road. So right now, Jordan Moore, I think, is listed kind of buried on the – wide receiver depth chart, but I talked, I reached out to you and asked, like, do you think this is more like a little cover up that they don't want to like, they, they want to play down Jordan Moore's part. If that makes sense. Like they're not going to listen as a starter, but Duke fans are going to see him on the field constantly. So to me, it's, it's one of two things. And, and it just kind of dawned on me now. Um, the usage that we saw Jordan and after he made the transition, after, you know, the, the story came out, I think it was it a Saturday or Sunday morning in fall camp when we were able to finally report that, you know, he's he's working out at receiver in addition to playing quarterback. Um, you know, number one, he's listed on the depth chart where he is uh, to keep things under wrap, to, to kind of keep Temple in the dark. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much Temple would – expect to see Jordan Moore if, you know, say Duke didn't put out a depth chart. Yeah. Um, or we saw so much of Jordan Moore at receiver in the last week or so of fall camp because they were trying to, to ramp him up to speed and get him overloaded with reps with Riley and with Henry Boleyn um, just to kind of catch him up at the position because at this point in the in the calendar year, your receivers like Eli and Jalen Calhoun, Daryl Harding, all the guys we just talked about, they've run thousands of of reps with Riley. Uh, they've run probably on a much smaller scale, maybe a thousand reps with Henry Boleyn because uh, he didn't enroll until the summer. But in the summer, they run seven on sevens. They're voluntary uh every day every, you know five days of the week six days of the week stuff like that you're getting timing yep and if jordan moore wasn't doing that which there's been no indication that he was doing that all summer it was that he was competing to be a quarterback so he would have been throwing balls instead of catching them from riley uh 
he is so far behind in timing and in in kind of building a rapport as a receiver that we saw him out there so frequently because they're trying to to speed him along uh, in his new role, which honestly both make sense to me. Like you could, yeah. you know, Mike Elko could, Mike Elko could call me uh, within 20 minutes of this posting and, and tell me one or the other, and I would not be shocked either way. Yeah. Um, but they, like they said, I mean, I, I really think Duke wants to use his athleticism and get him on the field as much as possible. And once he's comfortable in doing it consistently, like I think they'll give him a couple routes that he's always going to run and then slowly make it more and more routes and be yeah. as effective as the year goes on. And you're not you're not going to see the best Duke team week one. You do not want to see the best Duke team week one. You want to see the best Duke team week 12. So if Moore doesn't stand out week one or through October, Duke fans do not need to worry. Like it's position change. But I think he will be explosive and get comfortable at the wide receiver position. And that's the killer thing when you talk about the schedule in week 12. Like, what what did Duke do to piss off the ACC where last year they had Pitt and Wake in back-to-back weeks? I know going into last year, those teams weren't projected to win the win the divisions, but they had those two back-to-back weeks. Now they got those two again in back-to-back weeks and to end the season. I think they pissed off the ACC by being on ESPN and losing my 40 points for the last six games of this season. All right, last question, last question for real. What are your expectations Saturday or Friday? Uh, so I hate giving score prediction, win prediction, all that stuff. Um, Duke is a seven-point favorite is what I saw this morning. I don't know if that could have shifted too much. Yeah, uh, it's seven. Yeah. Um, Man, it's an opener. It's a new coach against a new coach. Right. I, I right. don't know what to expect. Like, I I just I, I would expect, you know, Duke's defense, the the bar for improvement is really, really low. Obviously, we can't stress that enough. We can make all the jokes we want about it. It, it is reality that they were the worst defense in the country last year when it comes to yards allowed per game. I don't think they will be that this year. I think that the the scheme change um, with making that making that 50 be more of a corner slash nickel rather than having a third safety on the field helps you defend uh, modern offenses better. Um, I think they'll be a little more fundamentally sound on that side of the ball. Um, offensively, I just don't know. There, there were – there were times in fall camp where I really questioned uh, the quarterback position, not just Riley, not just Jordan, not just Henry. Like there were times where it was like, man, I, I don't know if any of these guys can, can get these things done that they're, they need to do. Um, those doubts were a lot more in the first week and the first week is ironing out a lot of issues. It's getting timing down. The defense is almost always ahead of the offense in the first week or week and a half of fall camp. Um, And that was the case this year. Like Riley hit his stride. Riley, you know, Coach Elko said in his press conference, Riley went out and won the job. It wasn't just handed to him. Uh, He didn't fall backwards into being the starter. He went out and won it uh, by being consistent and 
that's that's really I think the best you can hope for for Duke is is consistency. You can't, you know, have a seven play, seventy five yard touchdown drive followed by three straight three and outs. Um, you want to sustain some sustain some sustained <laughs> success uh, and consistency, and I think they have the offensive line to give them that chance. Like that's one thing we haven't talked about. Like their offensive line, I think is probably middle tier, uh, maybe a little better than middle tier in the ACC. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a strong unit based on what Duke has been in the past. Um, you know, the, it's the worst cliche in the world, but this game might come down to turnover margin. Uh, it's and and that's a that's an area that Duke has been awful for the last two years. It'd be nice to be on the right side of a turnover margin and show <laughs> that you can win a game, forcing more turnovers and taking care of the ball. Well, Connor, I know you got to run. I appreciate you uh, coming on, giving us a little insight for the Duke fans. I mean, kickoff is literally Friday, so it's it's here, baby. And we have real football to talk one. about. Week one is approaching us. Connor, I appreciate it. I look forward to recapping the Temple game with you next week. Sounds good, Jordan. Thanks. On today's episode as well, we have a special guest. His name is Sean. His uh, Twitter handle is Al underscore be back. He represents Temple in this episode. So, Sean, I appreciate having you on. Uh, I'm looking forward to week one in your Temple Owls. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for having me. Uh, really excited to be here. And as you said, uh, you know, I, I run a Temple sports podcast. I'll be back. And uh yeah, just really, you know, you, you kind of reached out to me on Twitter and the second I, I was like, I know exactly what this message is going to say. Like, let's do a podcast together. So really happy to be here. Yeah, man. It's uh football is back for both of us. Uh, I'm I'm pumped. I cannot wait. Like week zero was just a little appetizer for college football. Wasn't the full slate, but we'll get the full slate starting Thursday through Saturday. Yeah, it's funny because on sat this last Saturday it was like twelve o'clock, and I was like, "What should I do?" I was like, "There's a college football game on. Like, I'm gonna go to the bar and watch." Like, that's the first time in eight nine months you could say that. So it's good to have it back. So with Temple and Duke, we have similar situations coming <laughs> into Week One. We have first time head coaches taking over programs that actually face each other in 2018. That was the last time Duke went to a bowl game, and I'm assuming that's the last time Temple went to a bowl game as well. Yes, it was. <laughs> the Independence Bowl, Duke obviously defeated Temple 56-27, and that was the last time both of us tasted uh, postseason, and I forgot what that felt like. That was Daniel Jones' last game at Duke as well. So after him, it's been a tough slate behind center. Yeah, no, and uh, we're, as you said, same boat. We got a, both teams, got first-year head coaches, uh, you know, for lack of a better description, low expectations, and just kind of hopefully both of us right the ship and within – Next two, three years, we're back in that bowl game prominence and can say we're we're in the right uh, direction. <laughs> so what's your expectations coming in this season for Temple? Um, honestly, and uh, this is more just uh, I'm going to try not to go on a complete rant here, but Rod Carey, our previous coach, um, he just he tore the program down so poorly after we had, um, you know, some great coaches. Matt Rule, who's now with the Panthers, which I'm sure, you know, maybe some of your listeners are are not happy with him at the moment. But Matt Rule actually started uh, – his head coaching career at Temple and he was phenomenal with us. You know, if you remember, we beat Penn state for the first time with him. We had college game day once at Temple because we were so good. We played Notre Dame and it was a loss, but like 
we had that college football town vibe for the first time in possibly Temple football history. And then we uh, replaced him um, with Rod Carey, who, I mean, he, he just really went the wrong way about everything. He didn't really embrace anything that we had. Um, Temple football had this tradition, uh, single digits. And last year, we didn't even have that, uh, which for those who don't know, that's where we actually award, you know, the toughest player, the Temple tough players. Um, they got, you know, zero through number nine. And uh, even last year, not even having that, um, a lot of people just were over Rod Carey. And then the record reflected that as well. Um so Stan Drayton, our new coach, he comes in from uh, Texas. Um, he was a running backs coach there. He has a great track record, was Ohio State's running back coach when they had Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, he's, he was Brian Westbrook's uh, running backs coach when he was in college. So multiple, multiple guys in the NFL. Um, he's just bringing that energy. He's bringing – he's brought back this kind of single digits. He's brought back a lot of the former single-digit players at Temple to talk to the team and just say, this is what we've built success on. So this is what we got to do. You know, now it's, it's a lot of players who are currently in the league and they're coming back and just telling their stories of how they were successful at Temple. Um, so I'm happy to see Rod gone. And I think so far Stan's hit all the right buttons to get us back on track. Will we see that in the first year? Got to be honest, probably not. I mean, it's a younger team. It's a, a lot of uh, question marks. And last year we only had three wins. So it's it's not easy to just come out and like say they're going to be eight win team this year. Yeah, I mean, you guys, one thing about Temple that people may not know is you guys produce a lot of NFL talent. I think you're tops of the leaderboard in G5 talent in the NFL. We are. You guys turn – like, you turn them out, and Philly is a great place to be showcased. I mean, you play in an NFL stadium, so you're already getting a little taste of what it's like to play in the NFL in general. Yeah, no, absolutely. But Um, – it's it's cool to see because your first year head coach and coach Elko, the one thing they've done well as you brought back that he's brought back the single digit tradition and reached out to former players to come speak. And that's what Elko's done at Duke. And that's that when coaches talk about a uh, a foundation of almost a rebuild, sometimes they don't want to say rebuild, but it's a foundation. Not only does it start in the locker room, but it starts with the former players because they don't have the personal connection to a new staff. So with a new CAD coach reaching out to an older group, it makes that whole unit become tighter. And that's one thing Duke needs that was broken. And one thing that Temple clearly needed that seems like they are healing as well and coming together as one. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I didn't know uh, what, you know, how Elko has been doing down there. And I, I obviously haven't followed it too closely, but you're right. I mean, that's just what a, a new coaching staff does have to do. And if it sounds like he's doing it, um, I don't know why our old coach kind of just drifted away from our traditions. Not that we have a lot of traditions at Temple football, but there's just things that we were successful at. And it's just like, why break it if you, you got something to go with? So, yeah. Uh, Elko, for example, uh, with fall camp, one practice or one weekend he brought back there was over 50 former players that came and were on the sidelines watching fall practice so like that's pretty neat like literally zero ties to recruiting them or anything to my knowledge and they watched a closed practice and that's that's pretty cool because you're trying to build the brand like yeah (laughs) put it back up it's it's so easy nationally to see like but it's duke like it is what it is but honestly if you really look within the lines that there is potential i mean there's Two years ago, Duke finished two and eight the COVID year. Yeah. Five players got drafted in the NFL, and that was the most Dukes ever had in the, be drafted in the NFL. But you wouldn't know because they're two and eight and they just were on a bad 
Duke teams. Like that's just what it was. And so hopefully they're not Elko's rebuild won't be as bad as Cutcliffe's in terms of what he's taking over because there there are some talent talented guys there and we'll get into it for mm-hmm. the preview. But when Cutcliffe came to Duke, I mean the practice field was a 50 yard field with like a sidewalk almost walking in the middle of it. It wasn't even a hundred yard practice field. So like a division one ACC team and the talent that he had was literally just like Georgetown essentially. So Elko has a couple four stars and a couple guys that can produce, but year one, you just want to look like a competitive ACC team. Cause I don't know if you watched last year, but Thursday night game at Louisville, for example, or against Louisville, we lost by 40. And then we ended the season against Miami. I think we lost 48 to zero. So just trying to be competitive again in the ACC is what Duke's motto is. Yeah, and I, I you know, uh, obviously we're not in the ACC, but I, I think we have a, a solid conference. And I think that's really where Temple's at as well this year. You know, last year we had three wins, and you could almost tell by the end of the year they they really just kind of quit on the coach. Yep. Um, and the COVID year we went, I think, one and seven. But with playing in Philly, we had some of the tightest COVID restrictions. Um, there was a game we went out there with a walk-on as our starting quarterback. Um because of COVID restrictions were so tight, but it was a one and seven season. And I think you gave the coach a pass because of COVID almost like everybody just, it was just such a weird year For and sure. last. And then last year, the product was just still just as awful. And you don't have, I don't, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but like, you don't have, Oh, we're not missing 20 players. We just kind of suck now. <laughs> so this year, it, I think the expectations are, if we win three or four games, but we look competitive on all of them, as you said, you know, look competitive and just show that you can kind of hold your own in your own conference, even if you're losing, but you're not losing like the 40 to nothing and the 36 to whatever on, you know, national TV, there's, you can feel a little bit better and know that you're going the right way. Yeah. So we'll dive in now. The future is always the brightest. And yes. so we'll <laughs> look at it. it's a clean slate for both programs. Uh, going into week one, why don't you give the Duke fans a little background of what to expect from Temple uh, coming Friday? So for Temple, um, I was telling you right before we recorded, they actually just released their depth chart uh, this afternoon. Um, Dewan Mathis will be our starting quarterback. He was a four-star recruit out of Georgia. Like on paper, looked like the guy. He's about six foot five, has a great arm, can kind of run for, you know, quarterback speeds pretty fast. Um, so he has a little bit of dual threat option. He goes to Georgia and actually started his first game there um, as a fresh, I believe as a redshirt freshman, um, gets a concussion. Turns out he had also a actual like brain aneurysm. So due to the health reasons, he really never sees the field again at Georgia um, and transfers to Temple. I mean, last year, if you're telling me like, hey, Temple is going to get a four-star quarterback, however we get him, I'm not going to complain about it. Um but as I mentioned, uh, the past was not great for Temple. But last year, the offensive line had a lot of issues going on. He just never had a shot last year. So it was really hard to judge Mathis off of last season when the offensive line was bad. You know, they're basically, I think last year, this is not a made-up stat. We only had seven first-quarter points last year in the entire season. Mm-hmm. So we went basically every game in the second quarter. We're down by almost two touchdowns, if not more. It doesn't really give a quarterback – like, you can't establish a running game. You have nothing really to work with. So it was a rough year last year for Mathis. With the coaching change, he was able to keep the starting job. Um, we did get a guy, Quincy Patterson, who actually started at Virginia Tech, went to North Dakota State, now is a Temple. Also was a four-star QB. So on our roster, we have two four-star QBs. If Mathis doesn't look good in halftime, I could see Patterson coming in. 
Uh, Patterson's also a better runner. I'm not ruling out the chance of like a, you know, package, a Tim Tebow-esque package where he just comes in and runs up the middle or something like that. Um, but I think that, you know, based off everything I just said, Temple fans are curious to see what the leash for Mathis is and if he can, you know, succeed better this year, just given all of the uh, negatives he was dealt last year. Well, what's funny about Quincy Patterson is obviously I'm familiar with him from Virginia Tech, but I, one of my best friends who I've talked about before on the show, his, his name's Hokie Nation, is what we what he goes by. But he brought up to my attention that Quincy Patterson was an elite 11 QB at a high school. and But ever since he's been in college, he's basically been a predominant running quarterback. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's kind of hilarious hindsight, like 2020. At North Dakota State, he was the same way. He was like a design runner. But I think he I think he played in like eight games for them and had like eight rushing touchdowns. And I don't even know if he had eight passing touchdowns to give you an idea. Um, And then his story was he ended up getting hurt last year and they went on to win the national championship for that level without him. So that's where I think he saw the writings on the wall. Um, Most people were happy to say we got him because even if it even if he wasn't as good as Mathis, it would push Mathis to, you know, win that starting job. It was just kind of like looking around the rest of the quarterback room. There wasn't much. Um, little tidbit, we do actually have Kurt Warner's son on the roster. He is a quarterback as a freshman. So we probably will not see him this year, but that is, it'll be cool to say we have Kurt Warner's son and hopefully two, three years from now, uh, he's looking like his dad, but don't want to jump the gun on that yet. (laughs) That's awesome. And the only note that I have for Duke is our fourth string walk on QB is, uh, Steve Spurrier's grandson, Gavin. So with Temple, I do know that you guys have some turnover on the roster. Like a lot of people have transferred out, but some guys have transferred in. And uh, was it Jaden Blue transferred to Virginia Tech? Yes. He went to Virginia Tech and was one of our most productive uh, receivers in the history of the program. So it was tough to see him go. But as I mentioned last year, offensively, we just did so poorly. I can't really judge the guy like, hey, I'm a talented receiver and I couldn't even get the ball on like a wide receiver screen last year. So it sucks, but I get it. And I'm hoping um, we get some uh, opportunity from the new guys. Uh, Adonicus uh, Sanders is on our roster, who some of the Duke fans may remember from a Georgia Tech game last year, where I believe that was his best game of his college career. Yep. He, he single-handedly beat Duke on the final possession, the final drive. Uh, one thing a lot of wide receivers did last year was get open or catch 50-50 balls. I joked with some Duke fans that I know that 50-50 balls against Duke was like 95-5%. <laughs> and the 5% was a defensive pass interference. <laughs> so it was borderline 100%. <laughs> yeah, so uh, hopefully it, for Duke fans that we see improvement on their app, obviously with the new staff and everything. But, uh, yeah, he – Adonica Sanders, I, I read about him, too, that the coaching staff really likes how he's aggressive going up for one-on-ones as well, that he is the type of receiver, too, with his size that can come down with it. Um, yeah, everything the coaches have said about him have been positive, super positive, which, you know, hopefully this time of the year they're saying, all, you know, everybody's doing well. Um, but I've mentioned uh, a couple times already Temple does this single-digit uh, tradition where uh, it used to be the players voted on who got them. And this year, Stan Drayton actually wanted the coaches to do it just to kind of switch it up a little bit. And uh, he actually awarded Adonicus uh, a single digit. So for a transfer who just joined the program four or five months ago, 
uh, to get a single digit from the coaches. I think that shows you it's not just coach speak about how well he's doing in practice. They said, this is one of our toughest guys. He's coming out here every day, showing the work at practice. Um, so for him, I think that was when, um, you know, a couple of other guys who I've had on the show, they all said when he got the single digit, it really showed that it wasn't just the coaches praising a guy to praise him. It's like, no, he's really showing this on the uh, field so far. That blueprint of being a transfer and getting the honor of a Temple single digit is very impressive. So I, I think there was only one other in Temple history. And the other one is currently in the NFL. He's a cornerback, Rock Yassin. I think he's now on the Raiders. So not bad company to have there. No, not at all. What uh, Looking at the depth chart for you guys, obviously QB is a strength. I mean, two four-star QBs at Temple. I mean, that's very impressive. Running The running game struggled a little bit last year. Uh, do you see that improving coming into year one with Drayton? Uh, definitely. I'm, as I mentioned, he's a running backs coach. I, I, for, you know, you just got to assume he's doing more in that room than any other ones, just from his background. Um, we actually got a couple transfers in that room as well. Uh, Darvon Hubbard, uh, was, uh, Texas A&M, I believe. Uh, and we got Jakari Norwood, uh, from Illinois. Hubbard's a little bit more of a bruiser back and Norwood's more of the speed back. Um, but Edward Sadie, who actually, uh, was on the team last year at Temple. He was announced as a starter today, but I really see that room as a running back by committee at the moment until one of them really breaks out. You know, if you wanted to tell me in the Duke game, you know, Sadie maybe gets 12 handoffs, uh, Hubbard maybe gets eight and Norwood gets six. That is probably how I had to ballpark it. If one of them looks like they're doing good until that happens, I don't see that really being a one guy you got to worry about. Well, that's funny you say that because Duke is literally the same way. We have a running back spot committee, and we're about three to probably four deep on the on the running back committee. So, like, they named Jalen Coleman as the uh, starting running back, but you'll probably see Jordan Waters just as much, who's the third string running, who is the third running back, and he backed up uh, Mateo Durant last year. So. Mateo obviously was very successful and was all ACC on a down year for Duke. But when he was out, Waters was in. But with the new regime, Waters is listed at third, but not because of lack of talent or whatever. It's just running back by committee. So you'll see three or four Duke players on the uh, field. And sometimes you'll forget because three of the numbers are 22, 20, and 23. So if you blink, you're like all oh, the same running yeah. back. The numbers it's all the same guy. <laughs> so it, I understand that as well. Um, for our running back room, it's really going to, you know, offensive line is going to just have to improve. Like, you know, I mentioned how bad our offense was last year and the offensive line was just really just not good. That was part of the problem. Uh, we did bring back our old offensive line coach, Chris uh, Wiesahan, who's been with the program before, has sent many guys to the NFL uh, as offensive linemen. And hopefully he can kind of get that room back in the right spot they can to get a running back to really show how well they can do. Uh, to give you an idea, Edward Sadie, who I said is actually listed as a starter, he was our leading rusher on the team last year. I think he had 340 yards. Like, if your leading rusher is only getting 330, 40 yards, doesn't mean you got a lot of rushing yards out here. <laughs> yeah, he, I have it written down. It's 321 yards on 3.7 yards of carry and three right. touchdowns. So you were yeah. not far off at all. And it, I knew it was pretty dreadful. <laughs> so the offensive line uh, – are you, do you view that still as a work in progress or possibly? I would say, I would say this year, it's definitely trending in the right direction. We actually have two guys, Isaac Moore and um, Adam Kleiner, 
basically fifth year starters. Uh, they started, you know, five years ago as freshmen. And then with the COVID year, they got an extra year. So those two are really leading the room. Uh, and then the rest of the guys, um, our, our coach Wiesahan is pretty big on versatility. So there's about three to four guys that he can rotate around, whether they can play guard, center, tackle. So that, that whole room's going to probably rotate in and out about six, seven guys. Um, it's just, as I said, I don't, I don't think, it's weird. I've, I've kind of said this about other positions to other people in the past um, about this upcoming season. We weren't good enough last year that too many starting jobs are like solidified. So like if you don't look good in the first half of this game, I don't see a reason why the coaches will be like, well, last year he was really good. We should keep him in. I think yeah. it's like, well, yeah. we got to see who's good because we don't have we can't like mess around with this too long. <laughs> now, for your defense, we'll touch on your defense as well. What uh, group on your defense is your strength and maybe one that needs improvement or possibly a weakness? If I had to go strength, I would say cornerback. Um, actually, there's two corners, and neither of them are actually listed as starters today, but it sounds like that was more because of injury reason. Um, but if I go to the depth chart, which I got right here, hold on real quick. Um, our third corner is Keyshawn Paul and Cameron Ruiz. Last year, they were starters, and we actually had one of, surprisingly, one of the best pass defenses in the league. I think we gave up, like, I think it was fifth in the nation, like 190 yards per game. Now, granted, that's because everybody took a 20-point lead on us, and then they just ran the ball to run the clock out. But, hey, it's a stat that I can stick to, so I'm going to. But they were actually both surprisingly listed as third on the depth chart for corner. Um I, but it does sound like that's because they're dinged up. But they are actually – they both transferred in from uh, Power 5 programs and were very good last year. So I would say our cornerback room is really good. Um, and on top of that, we had another four-star. He was originally a running back, Iverson Clement. And he he went to Florida, transfers to Temple, and they moved him to cornerback. And he's – I could see if he gets on the field, if he gets an interception, I'm just going to, like, go 50-50. It's a pick six. Like, he was a four-star running back. Like, I'm just – I'm hoping it happens a lot this year, but we'll see. Um, and another guy that was a surprise for the single digits we were talking about, uh, Jalen McMurray was a redshirt freshman. He's a cornerback. He got the starting job and he's a single digit. So, uh, I have high hopes for him as well. So cornerback room is definitely our strength. How does the deal on a linebacker room look? You think, uh, the linebacker room is such a tough way to, uh, judge because last year, I think a lot of our linebackers were leading tacklers. A lot of them were like redshirt freshmen or sophomores. And it's really, really tough to determine were they getting playing time last year because they were really good? And were they getting a lot of tackles because they were really good? Or were they getting a lot of tackles because everybody was getting six yards an attempt against us? So they're already downfield. Of course, they're in the linebackers. Also, as I said, they were mostly younger guys. Were they getting good playing time because they were younger guys and successful? Or were they, it was like, we're, two and eight team like let's get the younger guys some playing time so that, i think that room by hopefully you know game two or three we'll have a better uh feel on what you know what i just said is it because they were good young players or it was just like we were just so bad last year that somebody had to make tackles and somebody had to get playing time so well i mean i'm looking forward to it and one thing that i'm really excited to see is Dwayne mathis i mean i've watched some of his stuff to like get familiar with them and what's fascinating to me is, though you guys had a down year last year, there's literally two ways that Mathis can play. And he, his best game was against Memphis. Yes. Upset against Memphis. And Kevin Johns, the offense coordinator from Memphis, is now the offense coordinator at Duke. Yep. And you beat – so you beat him in Memphis. But the first game of the season, 
was probably his worst game of the year at, against Rutgers, where he was like eight of 24. And he was eight of 24, 148 yards, a pick, and was sacked three times. And the defense coordinator from Rutgers, Rob Smith, is now Duke's defense coordinator. So <laughs> it will be interesting to see literally both coordinators that Duke has played against Dwayne last year. I, I knew that about the Memphis coordinator. I didn't know that about the Rutgers one. Uh, yeah. It's You know, last year, I remember that Rutgers game. Everybody was looking forward to it. And, you know, at the time we had high hopes for the season and then we got the crap kicked out of us. And I think that was where I was like, all right, maybe we aren't that good anymore. Um, but I did not know that about the Rutgers uh, coordinator. So I guess you guys can feel pretty good about that. Uh, I think with Mathis, it, it's and you mentioned the Memphis game, that was one where we thought maybe we're turning the season around. Um, and that's really what everybody says. You've, you've seen that good, that four-star, why he committed to Georgia. I think uh, you you look at the Memphis game, that's a quarterback that you want to have. And you look at the Rutgers game, and as I mentioned, really by the end of the year, um, you could just tell his demeanor. Like, I don't want to say he quit on the team entirely, but like there are some games where we're just getting blown out and you could just tell he was out of it. So, yeah, well, I hopefully with, like you said, with the new start and the new coaching staff, hopefully uh, we get the better version this year. Yeah. And like with the new regime, I when I was in college, like we had my senior year, we had a new coach come in. And so I understand like coming in and buying, buying back in almost like you're recruited again, coming out yeah. of high so week one, I mean, last year, Duke lost to Charlotte as Charlotte, and that should have never happened. And so Temple coming into Duke, you guys clearly, whether you recruited them or not out of high school, they transferred in four stars and you have talent, like I said, have produced NFL talent. I mean, Matt Rule, like you said, is with the Panthers, but so is B.J. Walker and Robbie Anderson. So both that he coached at Temple. So like they, <laughs> you guys can produce NFL talent and It'll be interesting to see. I think it's uh, it'll be an exciting game. And for Temple fans, somebody to look out for for Duke on both sides of the ball, I would probably say Jalen Calhoun or Samir Hagens as wide receivers. Calhoun has the stats. He's a senior, and he will get, he'll get a lot of touches because Johns likes the quick passes, and he's an athlete, whereas Samir Hagens – was a redshirt freshman, but he had a really good spring, and then he parlayed that to a really good fall to where he's in the rotation at receiver. And our quarterback, backup quarterback, Jordan Moore, played as a freshman last year at QB uh, sparingly, but moved him to wide receiver. He's still technically QB two, but he has looked very comfortable out of fall practices and fall camp to where he will be a dynamic receiving threat. Uh, so the receiving core is probably a strength for Duke. And on defense, we had two transfers come in. Speedy Young from Iowa State had over a thousand snaps at Iowa State. DB one or cornerback one, and Darius Joyner transferred from. Oh boy, where did Darius Joyner transfer from? He transferred from uh FCS team, an FCS school, and he was FCS All American. Had like 146 tackles, and he can honestly might be a guy that can play at the next level. And he is a ball hawk and can get in the backfield and just an athlete. But Duke last year gave up the most passing yards in the NCAA football last year. If not like bottom five, they were the worst. And we didn't return anybody from the secondary. Like nine guys were in the secondary last year and all of them either graduated or transferred. But they were like, we're, we're out of here. 
But the thing <laughs> is, like most of the ones that transferred transferred down. Like ones at gotcha. Akron, ones at Akron, ones at uh, Tulane, ones kind of playing sparingly at Northwestern. And for me, it was a it was a good thing because it's like okay, yeah. any worse. Get- we need we need some new blood in here. <laughs> yeah, and so Duke Duke secondary they're going to be young, but they'll be okay. Uh, Linebacker is probably a strength. Shaka Hayward he has relatives that played in the NFL, and he was Duke's leading tackler last year, and he can basically go sideline to sideline. And then on the defensive line, Dwayne Carter he's a stud. Uh, defensive tackle. It'll be interesting to see how he plays. He had a really good first four games of the season last year for Duke, and then ACC play happened. And, like, once we lost to Georgia Tech because of your boy Adonicus Sanders, Duke lost every other ACC game by 30 or more. So it was almost like they quit after that. I don't know. That was the dagger for the season. (laughs) Duke Duke scored to make it 27-24 with, like, a minute and 40 to left. And then in 45 seconds – Georgia Tech goes right down the field and scores and game over. Like it was just. And that, that one's interesting because our former coach, Jeff Collins, is at Georgia Tech. Correct. Yeah. And he's, he's on the hot seat too, I think. <laughs> yeah, he is. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. Temple really has crazy deep football ties. Like if you really yeah. think about it. And one name that he's not a coach, he's not on your on field coaching staff, but off field is Everett Withers. Everett Withers, Duke fans would know him. He was the interim head coach at UNC once Butch Davis was fired. And then he left for there to go – I think he went to JMU from there and then went and followed Butch Davis to FIU, if I'm not mistaken. But, I did not know that about Withers. But, yeah, so there's a couple couple ties in there. Yeah. I, I think we have uh, one of your offensive linemen, although he was not a starter. Yeah. Uh, but we, we got a transfer – uh, lineman from Duke as well. Yeah, piece of do. He played, I think he probably played less than 50 snaps in three years at Duke. He, but he's a big body, big frame. And That's we, what I remember. He was he was a large human being. Yeah. <laughs> and I, we uh looking at your depth chart, he's not on the two deep, but you know, what sometimes on the two deep, it could be because of injury or it could be something else. And so you never know. I know he was kind of banged up at Duke too. So don't worry. Yeah, I, I don't know anything official for him. My guess is maybe just Needs more time on the playbook uh, just as a transfer in guy. Um, I know when we got him, it was just, you know, you can never have too many uh, guys to rotate in as depth on the O-line. So I don't know if they necessarily looked at him as a starter or just like, hey, if if we do get dinged up, we got something to throw out there at least. On your confidence scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about Temple coming into Wallace Wade? So I have gone back and forth on this. I will actually be there Friday. I am making the trip down. So I'm pretty excited for it. Um, three weeks ago, I was like, I think they get blown out. And then I was like, no, I think they win. Like I, I turned my, I was like, you know what, Temple, everything positive coming out of camp. Coach sounds positive. I was like, you know what, I think we can win. And no offense to Duke fans, it does sound like you're the bottom of the ACC. We're the bottom of our conference too. So it's not like saying much. Um I was like, maybe we maybe we beat them. And, you know, I think Temple's goal, we're not in the Power Five conferences, but we would like to, you know, compete with the Rutgers of the world, the Duke footballs of the world. Like, be even if we're, you know, ranked seventh to the bottom of the ACC or the Big Ten, that's a realistic goal for Temple. So we should, you know, we're not going to beat Ohio State every year, but if we can beat some of the lower-level teams in these bigger conferences, that seems like something we should be able to do every year in and out. 
Um, now, as now as the game's approaching, I'm going back to I think we lose, but I think it's closer. I think maybe I I, I don't want to be too optimistic. I think realistically for Temple this year, they get three to four wins. If they get closer to five or six, I think they need to win this game. Like the the rest of their schedule can set them up to start off four and out. Will they do it? Uh, two and two is probably more likely for them. So this game, I, I've really gone back and forth on it. As of now, screw it. I, I'll say Temple wins 24-21. All right. I mean, hey, I, <laughs> I am – I mean, in my bio on Twitter is optimistic Duke football fan. So, trust me, you're not being viewed <laughs> by me at any any sort of way. Because I went – Connor, my co-host, who couldn't make it tonight, uh, I joked with him that Duke could possibly start 6-0 and with their schedule. So, it's not, <laughs> it's not like the part, it's not the worst thing that's been said on this podcast by far. And – you guys have the talent. Like, I mean, like I said, Dwayne Mathis has proven to be – he'll have a game. If he plays like he did against Memphis where he threw for 322 yards and three touchdowns and ran for 53 yards, Duke gave that up last year almost every game. So, or if he comes out and Rob Smith like he did against Rutgers, then I have a good good feeling about Duke. But I have Duke – my I have Duke, obviously, and then I do have Duke minus seven. But I also had Duke against – UNC saw it last year and that so <laughs> well that was the thing because I think when that spread first came out it, I think it started like eight and a half or nine and a half it's gone a little bit down but when I first saw that I was like shit Vegas is saying we're at least losing by like double digits that's not a good sign at all yeah um, so I, yeah when when it's gone down a little bit I think that's I, you know I also sometimes that just depends on where the money's going to but um it'll be interesting to see um I it's going to come down to Mathis, really. As you, I didn't know that about the Rutgers coordinator, though. That makes it a little game changer. Well, I will also possibly be there on Friday. So if I am, I'll hit you up. And again, Duke fans, follow Sean. Uh, I'll be back. And Sean, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, go Owls.